AE self-sourcing is a big topic right now. And there's kind of some debate, you know, during recessions, like the one that we're in or about to be in, however you decide to look at it, should AEs focus more on prospecting or the same amount on prospecting and getting better at closing more deals when things are tough? And we're going to dig into that today with our guest. And I'm super excited to introduce him to you. If you're tuning into the podcast for the first time, my name is Jason Bay. You can call me J-Bay. This is Outbound Squad, where we help you turn complete strangers into paying customers. So if you're an account executive that's doing full cycle sales and you're you know, prospecting and running discovery and doing demos and closing deals, or you're a BDR or SDR looking to become an account executive at some point, or a sales leader that manages any uh, one of those folks, you're definitely in the right place. So my guest today, John Weiler, we've interviewed John on the podcast before. It's been over, I think, a year and a half. Uh, Path Robotics is the company he's working for right now. They were a client that came to me in, I think, May of 2021. So he has since moved from a sales development manager to a director of sales. And they've done a few really interesting things at Path. One of the big things being they've moved everyone into a full cycle sales role. So there's no longer a BDR team. So one of the topics that we dig into naturally is AE self-sourcing. So we get really tactical. So how to train it, uh, how to enable it, how their reps block and tackle, how he, as a director of sales, will still engage in outbound with his reps and do what I call rubbing shoulders. He calls it getting in the pit. And then we also talk about just how data-driven they are. And that was one thing that stuck out to me in working with John. He's one of the most data-driven sales leaders I've ever worked with. The dude is on top of his numbers. And more importantly, it's something that exists culturally within Path Robotics as a company. They're extremely data-driven. The other thing we talk about is texting. And he walks us through, I mean, they sell to some pretty big companies, but they're engaging with like VPs of operations, VPs of manufacturing, COOs, and you know what it takes to get into a texting-type relationship with these folks. And the other thing that I picked his brain on is ChatGPT. So he's got a rep, Dakota, that's using ChatGPT. And it's not to do what you think. You know, it's not writing cold emails for him to send. But the interesting perspective that I wanted from him is, you know, Path Robotics is a company that is all about automation and AI. It's a robotics company. So they're on the forefront of this type of technology. And with ChatGPT, we kind of talk about the future of AI and its role and what he thinks in terms of sales. And you're going to really love this episode. So uh, before we get to the interview, make sure to, if you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, I would love if you subscribe so you can get notified when a new episode like this comes out and leave us an honest rating or review. Definitely helps grow the platform. It's the best thing that you could do for me if you really enjoy this episode and want to give back in some sort of way. So without further ado, let's get to the interview with John. I think there's only been a few people that we've had on for a second uh, or third time, but I was, uh, we caught up, I think about a month ago, maybe a little less than that. And uh, one, it's always good to catch up with you, man. But uh, I think it'd be good to kind of start. This was, I think in what May of 2021, we started talking and we got a project, a training project together. And we did some work with your SDRs. Give us an update. What's happened (laughs) since then? Because a lot of shit has changed in your world. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. And it continues to change and, and it's great to be back on. I appreciate the time with you, Jason. It's always a good conversation. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, last time we talked, we were in the heat of it. Uh, we were grow at all costs. Um, and you know, things have kind of shifted from that mentality. If you're a VC backed uh, tech company, you can probably relate to that a little bit of a slightly different tune today. But since then we've made some strategic shifts um, and we took the learnings that that we worked with with you um, on the SDR front, and we decided that it made more sense for not only our account executives to be self-sourcing uh, a bigger portion of their, their deals and their mm-hmm. pipeline, but to also have that first impression carry over through the contract. So no more of this handoff from enterprise SDRs to enterprise AEs, um, and you spend some of that time building trust in a relationship. Now, what we did is is we have everyone doing full stack sales. So we have account executives now at Path Robotics um, that from the very first cold call all the way to a contract signature. Let's talk about that. I'm curious what you've been in the game for a little while now, and you've kind of seen a lot of different ends of the spectrum. Do you think we're going to see a trend of more sales teams moving towards a hey, let's make people account executives and let's have people self-source pipeline and let's not make prospecting this dirty job, basically, that we make SDRs do. Yeah. Yeah. I think you, you've been putting content out there that I've been following. And I think I even pinged you about it one time because this was one of your 23 predictions. And I, I think I'm seeing it from the front lines. Um, a lot of AEs self-sourcing more of their pipeline. And I think when you break it down, it makes a lot of sense. There's there's a lot of different things at play, right? So one of the things that I know you and other sales leader, leaders talk about is building empathy. So I think sometimes mm-hmm. when you get first into the sales game, SDRs can be seen as more of this just task-oriented, high activity, high volume uh, meeting setters. This could, could, could be one of the most uh, ignorant ways to downplay the value that they bring. Um, yep. And account executives do the actual deal making. And I think having people reverse roles, right? So have an account executive who's lived off of an SDR pipeline prospect builds that empathy. So they get to understand what it's like because the results are very lagging and there's a lot of upfront, there is a lot of upfront effort and activity. And there's mm-hmm. sometimes in the beginning to get that momentum, it's a, it's a slow start, right? So um, when you have a pipeline coming to you and you get to have fun discovery conversations, uh, it's a change of pace. And so it builds empathy. And then from the SDR's perspective, y- you can get into a rhythm and master being at the top of the funnel and understand how to start conversations, right? Not asking them to take meetings, not asking them to buy products, but start an engaging conversation, then taking them into building a, a uh, discovery process. And so I've seen it come full circle and it's been really cool to see firsthand. Um, I, I think it honestly serves our customers better. I think they build yeah. trust, like I was saying, because I think they surveyed, I don't know how many people, I think Gong did one of their surveys where it's like hundreds of thousands of people, right? Um, and they released information essentially saying that the first impression and the contract signature are the two most memorable moments from the buyer's perspective. And, and mm. the stuff in the middle can be easily forgotten, but how you make that first impression and how you close that deal, when they surveyed these people on the sales process, those were the two moments in time. Wow. Oh man, there's so many different directions that we could take that. One of the things that stuck out to me when we first started working together, I don't know if you remember, I wanted to see what discovery calls looked like. And 
I watched some of them with your account executives at the time, and I was blown away at the actual amount of knowledge sharing that takes place in that first interaction. You guys would book, I think, an hour call, 45-minute call with a VP of manufacturing, a VP of operations at some big manufacturers. Yeah. Yeah. These were big wigs that were hopping on these calls. And it was one of the few instances where that's where I kind of came up with the analogy of, you know, in SDR, you're essentially setting up a blind date for the account executive. So hype up that person. And I'm like, you have this account executive that's hopping on this call to have all this ex- industry experience. Yep. And they teach so many trends and things like that, that that account, that experience with the account executive is a really valuable one for the prospect, regardless of if they decide to move forward. I think that where I'm kind of going with that is that what we're seeing right now, what I see, at least in the work that I do is that even within the sales department, there's like silos between SDRs and AEs where that knowledge transfer isn't happening. And I think a a better solution, and again, I, I think that we're going to see a huge trend towards this, is to just have people do both of those activities yeah. and to not separate them. Because you, you're such a better prospector when you know and you have the intimate knowledge of what happens after that first meeting. Yep. And you've spoken with actual customers and had hour-long conversations. What do you think? Yeah, compl- I, I completely agree with you. I think the the more areas throughout an enterprise complex sales process that you can keep the conversation with the stakeholders and the person on, on our end of the table, there's less risk for information to be lost along the way, context to be dropped off. There's also uh, increased efficiencies, right? So you can spend more time actually focusing on their problems, maybe not data entry into the CRM for a handoff <laughs> internally, um, which, yeah. we all, which we all know about, right? I mean, when you go and as an account executive, when you hand that off to customer success, I mean, that's another opportunity where if that handoff, if there's missed context, key points, you have a moment in time to have a trust building event, but it can be a catalyst for change if it's not if it's not delivered the right way. I think with the SDRs, you know, I, I want to make one other point that, that you uh, brought up, and I don't know if I emphasized it. Prospecting is, it, it should be a part of every top performer's day. So this should not be like a conversation of like, should account executives be prospecting daily? The answer is yes. The best salespeople, it doesn't matter what your title is, are prospecting every single day. I'm a director. I prospect every day. It's just a part of being a top performer. So that if we set that aside, I align wholeheartedly with that. But to your point, yeah, I mean, the big wigs are coming into these calls because there's a lot of pain. So based on who's getting into a discovery call, I think could be one takeaway of how significant is the problem that you're solving for in that particular industry. For us, it's it's workforce challenges, skilled labor. Um, U.S. And, and global manufacturing is at a precipice. Um, but even then, like having that discovery conversation and then seeing a familiar face in the very next call, um, it, it is a really big deal. And you are right. I mean, there's a lot of opportunities where people can speak highly about their colleagues. And and it's kind of this exercise where it might not come naturally. You might not be as an SDR thinking, okay, well, I really need to prop this person up because you work with them on a daily basis. So you see their strengths all the time. And you're not thinking yep. to yourself, I'm going to kick off this call to this group of bigwigs and just compliment my peer over Zoom because that might not feel like a natural exercise. But what those people on the other end of the call have never seen is 
why it's a good use of their time, why this person's qualified to lead them through that conversation, and why they've done it for other people and how those people can get the most value out of that time. So if you set the table correctly, I think you open up people's minds very early on. Um, you can say a lot of great things, but if they're not entering the conversation in the right frame, uh, it, it can be a big deal, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. So let's talk brass tacks because there was a transition period, I'm assuming, correct me if I'm wrong, where once we started to move these SDRs into AEs, okay, sure, they prospect on a regular basis. That's what they've been doing. And then I'm sure there were some account executives where this is a bit of a cultural shift. So what are some of the principles in place? Like, how do you get account executives to, you know, get bought in to doing this on a regular basis? And how do you enable, you know, this part of your sales team? Yeah. So I think that at a very high level, the thought was we've got some really great top of funnel uh, SDRs, enterprise SDRs, and we've got some really great uh, mid bottom of funnel uh, account executives, enterprise account executives. Everything we do is a ACV north of $400,000 a year. So it's a, it's an enterprise deal. It's a complex. Big deals. Yeah. Complex technical sale. There's a lot of stakeholders um, and there's a lot of data around that. So we have a BI team that helps support the entire revenue org. Um, but at, at, a, at a high level, right, we, we, we chose to attack it from both sides and we, we said we would meet in the middle. Um, so one of my colleagues, uh, another director at PATH, he started putting together a series, coaching the SDRs on how to do mid-funnel mid and end-of-funnel, and I was a part of those. Um, and then simultaneously, we set up weekly trainings with the account executives to start showing them our process, our sequences, how we use the CRM, what, what views do we use in the CRM, what's our daily workflow look like, some very tactical things. And then we use a tech stack. We use Gong so we can record all these conversations. Um, we have a playlist. I think this is one of the things that we talked about when we were with you, setting up these weekly playbook for success calls. What does success look like? Yep. Um, and, and going through those and being inclusive of the entire team. So giving the account executive some vulnerability around it's okay, it's not going to feel natural. Um, and I think one of the things I noticed right off the bat is uh, – it's harder, I think, for an account executive to jump into a uh, cold call, right? And not want to go deep. They're so used to getting into discovery yeah. mode. And you and I know both, like when you when you call someone, right? Permission-based opener and, and your outcome is, do you want to learn more? Like that's the highest converting yeah. question that we can ask as an SDR. <laughs> is, yeah. is, is this relevant at all? And, and you don't ask for the meeting, but you ask, do you want to learn more? The outcome is similar, right? It's you still get that meeting. But I think I noticed that it, it was harder. And this just is about life. I think it's easier to make things complex than it is to go the reverse, to take something complex and make it simple. Yep. And at the core of what a great SDR does is they deliver a message very simply. And if it's relevant and done with good timing and permission, uh, it's going to land. And so I, I, I noticed, you know, <laughs> SDRs also are used to high volume work. So the, the SDRs that transitioned over, they had no problem setting up their own discovery pipeline. Um, if you're used to in your daily workflow focused on mid-funnel or bottom of funnel, you come up with a routine and top of funnel might be sacrificed. And so you have to carve out time. Uh, and it's like all things, it's lagging. So you put that effort in up front. Yeah. I always make the analogy with eating healthy and exercising you know, sure, like the workouts I do in the morning, they do make me feel better that day. But mostly I'm doing this for my future self. 
And it's never going to be a high priority or sorry. It's never going to be urgent. It's never going to be urgent for me to work out and eat healthy, just like prospecting. Unless you're in a total shitty place and you have no pipeline, it's never really a super urgent activity that you need to do on the enterprise level. So what are the guidelines that you guys set up for account executives in terms of like, if you're working with a new account executive, let's say, and you're kind of like laying out what a week might look like, what an ideal week might look like, what does that look like? And where do they fit in outbound and how do they block and tackle it? Yeah, I actually shared something with the entire team that you put out there, because I think this is a big conversation amongst moving people from a uh, two sides of the house, right? So top of funnel, and then everything below to a full stack Mm -hmm. sales team, right? So if you if you have that conversation, I think one of the first things we experienced is you get the pushback of where am I going to fit this in my day? How am I going to structure it? And, and how is this going to impact the rest of my conversion rates that I'm already that I'm already working towards? Um, and I think you had said like an hour a day, 10% of your week. Um, and I think that's a great starting point. You use the analogy of working out. Um, I like the analogy uh, that Navel put out there is like you read if you read one hour a day, you're in like the top one percent of people. Most people read for minutes. They don't read for an hour a yeah. day, one to two hours a day of reading. And so how does this tie into sales? Well, before you start prospecting, you should be understanding what's going on at a high level in that industry. Account executives are brought opportunities that are typically pre-qualified. And if the SDR does a really good job providing context, um, industry background, company background, like we have this pre-discovery call framework that we would throw up for enterprise accounts. And honestly, in a, in a single page, you could have enough there to dig off of in an hour-long conversation. You now have to work that into your schedule. So the very first part was like the pre-activity. And that's where we started with them was let's not focus on the actual results. Let's not focus on setting X number of meetings. Let's just start working on how many accounts do you need to research? What industries are you interested in? And then what are some of your favorite deals that you've been a part of closing? Or what are some of your favorite verticals that you've been a part of? Let's start there so we can drive some of that natural energy, natural passion, because it is somewhat of, you know, it's not an urgent task. It's important, but it's not urgent. Um, and so that's where we started and we made it very simple things that you can control, not necessarily results, but activities. Uh, if you research X number of accounts, if you come up with talk tracks, if you get on this many calls, um, some of the things that we threw up in dashboards for SDRs a a while back, um, that structure, I think helped some of the account executives figure out, okay, this isn't really the burden that I thought it was now that I've got some clarity around what I'm actually doing. And if, it, you know, essentially what I ask new reps is I thought of it like a ramp up period. So, you know, trust me, I trust you. If, you. if you follow this process, you put in the work and we meet on an ongoing basis, there is going to be results here. And so the sales are lagging thing. Just just keep following this guideline an hour a day, can, you know, and, and what we saw is the people that ended up having early on success, they start running with it. Um, those, those are the people that if you get an early win, it's very momentum driven, right? I think sales is overall, uh, if you start getting some early wins, you can take that. And at first prospecting on a weekend or on a, on a nighttime might feel like a burden. It starts to become, okay, I set a meeting at 5 PM. I'm going to go set one more before tomorrow. So yeah, kind of the way that we worked it in. I love that. This is this the framework that I've been teaching around AE self-sourcing has been prioritize, commit, and execute. So the prioritization is 
hey, all of the accounts that you're reaching out to, it's what you just said. It's like, what accounts do we really want to go after? Where do I have industry acumen and experience? Where have I already closed deals? And let's really narrow the focus from what it sounds like and go deep on those accounts. And then the commit piece. So an hour a day, what are the, like if we were to zoom in on that part, Mm -hmm. what are the different buckets of tasks that someone is doing throughout the week. And where I'm kind of going with this is a mistake that I oftentimes see is the lack of task batching where it's like, oh, I opened up an account. Okay, cool. John's someone that I want to reach out to. Let me write an email to John real quick. Fire it off. Oh, I should probably call him too, right? Okay, call. All right, who's next? I'm going to reach out to Adam. You know, it's just like, it's just really scattered activity that isn't very focused. How do you kind of break up the different parts of outbound? We took, we took some of the frameworks that, that you and others have provided, right? So, I mean, mm-hmm. if you, when, when we came to a power hour session, a cold calling session with you, the, the, the guidelines going into that, the way that you set it up for success was have your list pre-made. Don't be making the list during the hour. You should be able to <laughs> calling those people, understand why you're calling them and have your talk tracks pre- yeah. pre- pre-prepared. So that was the, that was the foundational element of what we took, um, and, and I wanted to double click on one thing you said about prioritization. More often than not, the people that cast a really wide net are the people that end up getting frustrated because you just blanket mass message and it just doesn't work because you can't be as relevant as personal, um, speaking below the line, above the line. There's a, there's a bunch of things that we could toss out here that the more general you become, I think the less results you're going to see early on. Whereas if you send a really prioritized targeted message to a, a key stakeholder, um, you can get a text you can get an email back and very quickly move into a text relationship. Um, but, you know, to answer your question about uh, zooming in on the particular things that we're doing, it depends on where that account executive or that cohort of people are within um, their top of funnel activity. So like one of the things that we saw working out well with the SDR team was like, uh, let's use the data that we have in the CRM with certain job titles to figure out what are the best call connect rates Let's structure our cold calling hours around those data-driven timeframes. This isn't like a black and white thing. There's a lot of gray here like in life, but uh, you can use data to a certain point to directionally give you some guidance on how you can spend your time throughout the day. Um, We would use off hours, right? So I think Jeb Blount talks about the golden hours um, and so do many others. But in, in the book, Fanatical Prospecting, you can do a lot of setup for the next day after the nine to five. You should be prioritizing those business hours for real conversations. So research accounts at night, pick a list of 10 accounts, figure out why the messaging makes sense, figure out who you want to contact and have emails scheduled. Like what we would do is we would pre-schedule emails. Most tech stacks will allow you to do this, CRMs. Um, you can batch out maybe 10 or 20 emails at a time. Uh, and we would have those send honestly between seven and eight a.m. Eastern, because that's when C-suite and and the people that the ICPs that we need to get a hold of, that's when they're going into their manufacturing facility before the rush comes. And so we would notice we would have higher open rates if we hit them early in the morning or maybe right at the end of the day, um, based on where people are in your sequence. Uh, is going to determine most of the activities. So in the beginning, it might feel like a lot of people are doing the same activities over time based on how their funnels are unfolding kind of dictates where they spend their time. So it could be emailing, it could be calling, um, it could be responding, setting up disco calls, or it could be researching accounts. Those are kind of the big buckets. Yeah. Dude, so much knowledge there. 
I think the the big things before we kind of move onto a different topic here are you provide a ton of tactical training. So I think a, a big mistake with sales leaders oftentimes see with account executives is go prospect. You should know how to do this. Go start calling into people and there's no enablement. There's no, how do we block and tackle this? Yeah. Which accounts should we pick? What do we say? What's the talk track? How do we, how do we do this? So I love that part. You're actually helping them think about the different types of activities I'm going to do based on the time of day and the pre-planning. And it makes me smile There's that certain stuff has stuck with you guys. Um, yeah. I love that. Um, and then the other thing, which I want to dig into next, is that it's an extremely data-driven approach. And, and I don't want to gloss over something you mentioned at the very beginning, too, is that you actually rub shoulders with your team. Like when we did that call, a cold calling block, yeah. you were cold calling with your team. Yeah. And it sounds like something that, hey, I, I'm showing a willingness to participate in this activity with you. Do you want to touch on that real quick? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll say it at a, at a higher level, right? So we talked about handoffs and we talked about loss of context, right? This is all the way in our organization. This is all the way up to the CEO. In Q4, I was traveling to uh, manufacturing facilities with our CEO in person, delivering sales presentations. It was a it is a huge deal to have that across the organization, even outside the revenue department. I just say that that I'm I'm a sales leader, but it's not just for sales leaders. It's not, it's for anyone, any key stakeholder in a business. If they want to understand what the market's telling you and they want to really hear from the customers, future, past, present, they should be spending X portion of their time every week in front of a customer. Um, so like color coding the calendar and then looking at the calendar and being like, okay, I don't have enough customer facing conversations. If that's the color, I need to add more of those. That's just a tidbit I've noticed. Um, but yeah, with, with, in terms of, uh, getting in front of people and spending time with them. I think one of the things that has allowed me to lead my team the way that I have is to be able to not ask them to do something that I wouldn't be willing to do myself. Um, and I think to your point, you know, when you were speaking about, there's a lot of advice on LinkedIn, there's a lot of gurus and there's a lot of different people out there um, saying what to do and not how to do it. I think this is a big mm -hmm. theme right now is like, here's what to do, do, do this, this, and this, but it doesn't actually break down. Like if I'm an entry yeah. starting person or not even entry, it doesn't really matter where I am. Um, I'm not being enabled on like how to do this. It's just like, a yeah, it's like, it's show a me how <laughs> it's a broad statement. And, and I understand that, you know, they might be teasing it a little bit to, to get their course. Yeah. Um, and I think it's cool that there's a lot of people sharing their experiences. So I don't want to downplay that. I don't want to misuse the word guru um, or, or associate yeah. a negative connotation. I just see that a lot. I see a lot of like, here's what you should do, but not how you should do it. Uh, now go do it. Um, yeah. I also think too, and I, I think I talked to you about this um, as a leader, right? When you do pull back, you're not in as many customer facing conversations. Something we talk about in sales a lot, imposter syndrome. I've dealt with it, still deal with it. I think a lot of people deal with it. I think for sales leaders, yeah, sales leaders in particular, man, if I'm not having enough of those conversations, my coaching actually starts to not feel authentic because I'm like, man, no. what, if the, what if the taxes, tactics have changed? What if the trends have changed? What if the talking points, uh, they're facing objections I've never faced. How can I give them genuine feedback? Um, so being a part of those conversations allows your peers to understand that you're out there in the front lines with them. Um, it builds camaraderie, it builds trust, it builds respect, and then it allows you to be more authentic in your coaching. Yeah, dude, love it. So we've talked 
AE self-sourcing, this concept of rubbing shoulders, I call it, or getting in the pit, I think he referred to it as. Let's talk about one thing that really stuck out to me is when we work together is how data-driven you guys are at PATH. It is the dashboards that you had set up were not just a bunch of like wonky stuff, a bunch of nice-to-haves. It was, oh, wow, we're actually looking at the numbers. And you were pulling in a bunch of stuff from a bunch of different places and stuff. But I wanted to, because you commented on, hey, we take we use data-driven insights. We call at times that our sales engagement tool tells us when people tend to pick up most. We email at times where our tool tells us when people open most. How do you think about being data-driven? Uh, what does that kind of mean to you? And, and like, what kind of data are you looking at on a regular basis? Yeah, I think it's I think it's important that when you're first starting out, um, the most important thing to do is to just go and to get started. Because I do think one of the things I've seen now that we have years of data is when you bring someone on, like uh, if you bring someone who's maybe not a natural salesperson, maybe more of an engineer, because I work with sales engineers as well, um, mm-hmm. they can get paralysis analysis in the data itself and be like, oh, I'm not going to call because it it says I have better chance of connecting at this point. That's not the way to interpret the data. (laughs) So I want to lead with that because we can't make up data-driven excuses, if you will. But PATH is pretty blessed to have a a business intelligence team. Um, And because it's an enterprise uh, sale and it's a complex technical sale, I think the data helps support how you spend your time, where you spend your time, um, and it can help directionally guide seasoned reps that understand the skill, the soft skill side of it, but they can make the biggest bang for their buck every time they send a, a great message. Um, the things that we track change over time. Um, and then we visualize the data with Tableau. So we have a plugin with Tableau because I'm a visual person. So I can see a bunch of numbers and, and spreadsheets all day. But if you show me a graph, I'm like, oh, that's what that entire spreadsheet was trying to tell me. I just get the picture um, immediately. So we do that to be able to visualize the data sets. And then we actually like with quota attainment and all of those types of things, we can look at data driven uh, OKRs that will show us, is this person trending directionally in the right way? Um, when we look at like you had asked what we're actually tracking, I mentioned some of them, right? So call connect rates, call connect rates by job title, um, email open rates, email reply rates. I think some of these are like foundational things of like, when's the best time to be sending outbound messages? I, I also think we have an inbound sheet, right? So speed to lead is something you, I, I feel like this is a well-known thing, but it doesn't hurt to reinforce good good fundamentals here. If someone reaches out to you and they're interested, pick up the phone immediately. Um, the data shows that yeah. like, if you just call them, strike while the iron's hot, you're, you're going to get a positive response. You're most likely going to get a qualified discovery conversation going. Um, so those are some of the things that we look at. I think we also look at, we have for us winning indicators that we believe in an enterprise deal. If we have an account executive bringing a deal to the table in front of our executive team for say a deal review internally, they believe it's going to close at the end of the month. If we pull it up and we look at the data in the CRM and we see you're not texting C-suite, you haven't had an executive alignment call, you haven't done a site visit and they haven't seen our demo. These are things that over time, the accumulation of data shows that if we check each of these boxes, our probability of winning that deal goes up exponentially. So that's like an example of maybe a custom data set that's unique for us. Um, And I think with texting in particular, 
it's something that we hold a lot of weight to because when you get into the negotiation phase and you're selling robotics that are artificially intelligent, a lot of this is vision-based selling, right? I mean, this is not yeah. been around for decades. Traditional robots have, but not artificially intelligent ones. So mm -hmm. you do have to build a level of intimacy and trust. Uh, and one of the ways that we can quantify that is, are you in a text message relationship with a C-suite? Because if I send out a contract on a Friday and I need a signature by a Friday night, if I text someone and I say, Bill, are we going to get this done? And he texts me back and says, I'm working on it. You're going to get a signature and DocuSign. If I have to send that, you can't even really have that conversation over email. It just, it, the tone yeah. isn't there, the, the intimacy is not there. So that's an example. Yeah. So I was just in working with another client what was what stuck out to me about what you just shared is you have all of these types of meetings that need to happen that if you were doing deal reviews, I'm assuming this is probably built into your HubSpot where it's like, there's these different types of meeting types and we can get the health of a deal based on have we run these meetings? What kind of, like, what have we extracted from this, et cetera. And I think that having those leading indicators through a deal, super, super important. And then tracking them and you're looking at that stuff. And the other thing that you talked a lot about was we got to talk about texting because I am so gung-ho on texting, <laughs> you know, like it's not a champion it unless you're texting, yeah. you know? <laughs> and yeah. um, so I think there's a lot of resistance though to texting and people feel, I don't know if they feel like it's inappropriate, but they're wondering when is the appropriate time to do it? So do you guys have a way that you train reps on texting? Is there kind of a method that you guys follow? And if so, what is it? Yeah, so we have we have like a like almost everything we have at Path. We like to consider a framework. I think you had used an mm -hmm. analogy when we were coaching together, like bumper lanes. Consider a call yep. script bumper lanes. Don't make it so it's robotic, um, especially in our industry. But you know, it's thing, <laughs> right? With texting, it's got to be something yeah. where uh, you have to feel. You, so you build that feel over time, the more reps that you get in, more conversations you get in, you'll start to feel, when are you, when are you approaching a, a level of intimacy that you feel is right? Well, that's hard to quantify. It's kind of abstract. So one, the, the ground rules that we kind of lay are, you shouldn't cold text. Don't, you know, don't let that be the first impression, please. Um, don't bring in some key stakeholder via text. Um, the, an easy way to start to build a text relationship that I think is welcomed is if you have a great discovery conversation with a key stakeholder and the next step is asking them to commit to an action item, like say for us, it's sending some files to start doing that technical review process. That's the next important meeting as an application review. Um, we need to corral typically people that aren't in that discovery meeting. There's manufacturing engineers or there's different job titles. And so it's now you and your champion essentially post-meeting and one of the things that we've seen work really well is, hey, shoot a text. You tell the person in the discovery call, hey, is this your cell phone number? Confirm it. Don't ask for it. And then just say, I'm going to shoot you a text right now. Um, and that way we can go ahead and keep track of the files. Does that sound fair? Most people are going to say yeah or no. And more often than not, it has nothing to do with their... Um, what I've seen is it has more to do with if they trust you at that point in time. If they feel comfortable with you texting their phone, then they will say yes. And if they say yes, yeah. you know, from that point on, you can start building that text message relationship. Um, you can also, if you're a couple meetings deep and you still haven't gotten there, uh, you can say, you can send a text to their, to their cell phone and say, Hey, we've got that zoom call in five minutes or a better example is we've got that zoom call in 30 minutes. 
do you have five minutes to hop on a quick call? I want to walk you through the agenda and make sure it's a good use of your boss's time. Um, little, yeah. things, little things like that. You don't want your first text to be a, a cold text and you don't want your first text to be asking for something. I think that's an important, that's an important takeaway is like when you break through to a level of intimacy, it should be an uplifting message or it should be a positive or a momentum building. It shouldn't be a withdrawal. Um, a, yeah. I'm asking you to do this via text. It shouldn't be, you're not getting back to my emails. I'm going to text you. Um, and I think people are confusing like how to use the text. So it's just bringing about this clout. Um, and maybe, I don't know. I, I, for a while I saw the cold FaceTime stuff, right? I don't think I could ever be a part of that. I, for me, I, I FaceTime with family and even then I'm like, Oh, I got to hold the phone. It's like, I'm walking around yeah. and I have my AirPods <laughs> in, and like do multitasking, which I know doesn't work, but it's just, yeah. it's just so there are some fine lines. I think that salespeople will uncover over time, but for me, yeah. texting, you know, and, and I'll give one one example here of like the text message relationship is not just a part of the sale. It is a it's a relationship. Like sales is relationships. At the core of what we're doing here is we're building relationships with people. That's something I believe. Something that drives me every day. Um, I'm getting book recommendations from CEOs of billion dollar organizations, and they go on the bookshelf right behind me, and I read them, yeah. and then I send a text being like, "Hey." You were right about this book. I, I loved it. Um, it just over time, this is like one of the ways that you start to become a thought leader, I think, in an industry is you start to rub shoulders in, in a non-professional setting. They start to give you insights. This is a way to, to build a referral engine. This is a way to get access to events after hours at trade shows. I mean, the snowball effect of being able to, to be effective at texting is massive. Dude, <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. Um, to your point about making sure that you're not constantly asking people for things, one really simple thing that you can do with a champion or a coach that's been really helpful is just to say thank you. Hey, John, I know it's a lot of work to round up all the troops for these calls. I really appreciate you doing that. Yeah. Like, that's it. That's all it's got to be. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. I think simple acknowledgement, one of the things that I think is really there's a whole, cause we've been talking about multi-threading a lot. There's a whole element of, you just need to do it. You're not doing it right now and you need to do it and get uncomfortable. And then there are the reps that are doing it. And of the ones that are doing it, there are ones that are doing it in a way that's working for them. And ones that are doing it in a way that doesn't quite work. And the ones that don't quite work, it's dude, acknowledge that the prospect, the person you're working with, you're asking them to do a lot of work. It's yeah. a lot of work for them to round up people internally. They put their political capital at the company on the line. They got to round up all these people. That's not an easy thing to do. No. And a simple acknowledgement and a thank you, I found it just goes such a long ways. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is definitely there. There's micro commitments um, all along the way. So if you have an average sales cycle of six to eight months in the enterprise world or more, eight to 12 months, whatever it might be, there's many deals happening I would say on a weekly, monthly basis there. Yeah. Um, and that, it's, a, it's a way to look at it is like, are they committed? Are they showing reciprocity in the relationship? Um, but you're right. That no one is ever going to get mad at you thanking them. Um, yeah. And yeah, just to make sure, like set the expectation of it's, it's a pure, genuine thank you. It's not a thank you with a follow-up text the next day. Um, or something, something like that, you know, but yeah, you are right. I mean, I've seen the, the most creative top of funnel activity is 
when you get on and maybe a sequence didn't hit, but that person is posting on LinkedIn or that person is sharing insights at a trade show, uh, whether it's in person, LinkedIn, phone, email, it doesn't really matter to me. What I what I'm more looking at is is the person engaged? Are they responding? And then also like what's the messaging? What's the frequency between the messaging? Um, and are you being thoughtful like about what's going on in their world? Um, yeah. To your point that you said, I mean that no one woke up or went to work today and was like, I can't wait to buy all these things. I can't wait to engage in this project that I didn't know I needed. Like no one's thinking that. They're thinking very much yeah. about them, their priorities, and you have to figure out how can you help them. Yeah, no, totally. So let's talk about, to shift gears again, chat GPT, because that's kind of all the rage right now. You have a rep, Dakota, who uh, it was so awesome seeing, he was already very good at prospecting before we started working together, but it was really interesting to see how he picked up on certain parts of the training and actually learned a lot from the way that he would digest things. And I learned a, I learned a lot from reps in general, honestly, because they take the stuff I teach and they take it in a very different direction, which is super cool. But Dakota is like, if I had to describe him, he's kind of quiet at first until you get to know him. Yeah. He's very analytical and he loves testing and trying out new ideas, which I'm assuming is like, when you mentioned that he was using chat GPT, I was like, duh, he's using chat GPT. Of course, what is he doing? Yeah. But <laughs> What are your, what have you seen um, to be effective with chat GPT? Like what are some of the stuff that he's actually doing and using the tool for that's helping? Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I would say um, one of the things that I've learned over time with leading people or being a part of having the opportunity to lead people is that as much as you're teaching, um, you're learning and it continues mm -hmm. to be exponential to your point. Like I, part of what makes what I do so much fun and fills me up with energy is that I go in and get to have exciting conversations with people on my team that love to perform, love to grow, but they also are teaching me things all the time. Um, and those are the types of teams that I think continue to build off of each other. But with Dakota in particular, you're right. Um, he is someone that's been prospecting for seven years now. So it's like, it, it, it's cool that you come across people that have such a strong uh, energy and passion still for prospecting after that many years. Because some people look at SDRs and prospecting as a gateway into closing, and then they don't want to ever look back. And it's like, it's not, it's never been that way with this, this individual. So anytime we get into a prospecting conversation, it's a refreshing conversation, fills my cup. Um, with ChatGPT in particular, you can see like, the stuff that I saw right away and the stuff that he was sharing back to me was like taking emails, copying and pasting them and saying, make this more concise or tell, you know, rewrite this in a different way. Um, and there's tools out there like Lavender, Reggie and, and other tools that can do um, AI based copywriting, right. And, and get better messaging out there. Uh, what I saw that was really unique about this, this individual and how he was utilizing ChatGPT was for prospecting and list building. So we have different verticals and then we have different names of different people. Um, and you can do this in Sales Navigator. You can say, show me more, right? And in and, and Zoom Info, you can find this similar companies. So there's tactics over time that you can help take a good fit and find five or 10 other ones. One of the ways though, that's not often talked about is putting that list into ChatGPT and saying, send me a list of 20 more. Okay, send me 10 more. Okay, so now you've seen the, the second list, you keep refining. So it's, a, it's like a prompt engine is the way that I've seen him use it. And he keeps refining his prompts to get better data output. Um, and it, once he finds like a, a silver lining in a list, 
you can just take that and have the tool spit out a bunch of other companies. So we have a vertical that's really, it's got a lot of high penetration because the pain is really big and our solution's a great fit for it. And so there's a lot of people right now at Path trying to find any hidden gems. And there's a perception, yeah. right, that there's a lot of these companies in the CRM. You'll never find more. Dakota was coming back week after week to these weekly team meetings with all these people, seasoned AEs, sales leaders. Our SVP was in the meeting and was like, I found three more uh, companies in this vertical. And people were like, how are you doing this? And I, so I have the pleasure of doing one-on-ones with him. And I'm like, Dakota, spill the beans. Like, yeah. what, what is going on here? Um, and he's like, I'm, I'm using ChatGBT. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. This guy. So yeah, wow. that's how he's using it. List building. Yeah. So I think that what you shared just now sort of dispels some myths around chat GPT and where it's heading. And I'm curious what your take is, but I think there's this thinking right now that, oh, I can just have it write cold emails for me. It's like, no, that's not, the technology is not to that point yet. And it's still with something like Reggie, let's say, um, it still relies on good inputs. Yeah. So if I'm reaching out to a VP of sales, I still need to tell Reggie, hey, here's what they tend to care about and here's how I help them. And here's some other companies that I've done it with. It's getting pretty freaking good though at spitting out a good email if the inputs are good. Yeah. In chat GPT, I think they're leveraging an older version of chat GPT or something like that. But um, same kind of thing, it sounds like. I need to show it what good looks like and then it can help me like kind of filter that or or recommend it or whatever, or I can give it, I've been doing this with LinkedIn posts, actually. I'll yeah. take my most popular LinkedIn posts, I'll put it in there and I'll start to re, hey, reword this and repurpose this. And it'll yeah. give me like a different way to kind of share something I know that's going to be popular. But where do you see like five to 10 years from now, what role do you see AI like chat GPT playing in sales and prospecting? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, and I would just say with any, a lot of the tools that I've seen kind of fall back on crap in, crap out type thing, right? So yeah. if you put poor data into the CRM, you're probably going to scale poorly. Um, if you put poor email inputs in, you're probably going to get poor messaging out. It might help it make a little bit more concise or clear or better worded. Um, but it, yeah, you're, you're right. What, what you put in typically is what you'll get out. And I think these tools are better at scaling the amount of effort to maybe hit like uh, the number of good messages over a certain medium. Um, and you can get a lot of variety, right? So we A-B test messages. We'll A-B test subject lines. We'll A-B test um, call to actions. You can get a variety of those very quickly with tools like you mentioned. Five years from now, oof. Uh, I mean, I just saw this I just saw this video. This is This is more along the lines of robots, but like just using large language models to eliminate the need for advanced programming. Because right now, if I want to use a robot or you want to use a robot, like an industrial robot, we have to have some type of technical acumen. Um, yeah. with, a pro- with a prompt engine like this, you don't. Like you can literally say, go go do this. Um, and it can also be exposed to things or it can, be, it can do things that it wasn't previously exposed to. So where I'm going to this with sales, I think in general, um, one of the one of the unlocks that's I don't know if it'll happen from Chat GPT, but I can see how it could maybe get there is um, I feel like CRMs have all of this data and they don't have still today. I have to create a bunch of dashboards to be able to tell me where to go next, um, and it facilitates a lot of things. I would love for it to be informing me of where I should be going. Like, hey, 
we've we've taken all of this data uh, on a hundred thousand companies, and you have five thousand customers, and they start distilling and providing me insights that only large data sets could do, and they do it very quickly for me. So I can be like, oh wow, I haven't thought about this product feature for this product vertical, and I can go do that. It's almost like the CRM telling you where to go next and how the messaging could be relevant based on these large data sets. Um, I think that's one way that that AI could impact the world of sales. I'm a big believer though that it's never going to replace a salesperson. I know like, there's a whole bunch of things about like yeah. uh, you know it's gonna it's gonna replace you AI. I don't believe that at all for for the slightest. I still believe that a human conversation like this is the most impact that you can have. Um, that's just maybe that's me being a millennial, but that's <laughs> that's where I'm at. <laughs> well, I mean, especially for enterprise sales, right? With what you guys sell, there's so much of that trusted advisor type of relationship that you have with your clients. Yeah. They're not going to spend four hundred thousand dollars on an automated, you know, robot and that type of thing, like interacting with a chatbot. You know what I mean? Like that's just like that's it's what you sell is not a self serve, you know, you type can- of thing. You can become maybe more of an insight-driven salesperson by interfacing with a tool like that. So one of the things that we'll do is we'll dive deep and have it summarize an industry trend, or we'll say, hey, all of these, what's the common point with all of these manufacturers? Or what's the common point that's going on in this? Or this process, how is it uh, set up for success or failure? And because you want to deliver insight along the way, based on who you're talking mm-hmm. to, you want to deliver value to your point at the beginning of the conversation, leave them with something, right? Even if they don't buy, you can use tools like this to ingest a bunch of insights. You do need to check and make sure that they're not uh, inaccurate insights because it still can provide you with inaccurate data. Um, but that is another way that we've seen it uh, been used pretty effectively is like, hey, su- summarize a trend that you're seeing and then you can share that with an executive. Yeah. I think the commentary I'll provide on this is I think where we're going to see a huge trend is consolidation of tech. So if you look at what Outreach and Gong are doing, yeah. Outreach has said, we're not just a sales engagement tool now. Now we're Rev Intelligence. Now we're all these other things. Yeah. Um, Gong is moving in some really interesting directions where they're starting, they're going to start playing in sales engagement, dude. Yep. So they yep. have a sales engagement tool. They have Rev Intelligence. They have conversational intelligence. I think where the where the real power is going to be is if I can hook one tool up to my Salesforce or HubSpot, and it's got all of the conversations that we've had with customers, all of the emails that we've sent, it's got all of the data around closed one and closed lost. I think now we can start getting into some really interesting, because even the rev intelligence right now is not really that good. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be like, okay, John, like here's a hundred deals that your entire team is working and 20 of them are, are not multi-threaded. And you start to dig into it and it's like, well, what do they consider multi-threaded? Oh, well, multiple people have had email correspondence. Yeah. I'm like, that's not really multi-threading if you haven't had a conversation with you. It's not really that great. Yeah. It's not yeah. really good at like, you know, showing you the red flags, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I think we have a long ways to go, but it's... This is probably something that's like 5, 10, 15, 20 years, I think, away from being really, really smart in intelligence from a macro standpoint. Yeah, yeah, really effective. Um, I relate a lot of things to automation because I live in that world. Yeah, that's why I asked you about this. Yeah, and robotics in general. And it's kind of like 
Um, there is a lot of robots and automation plays out there that you can do. Um, and you could build a model, you could build an ROI spreadsheet, a payback calculator, what, whatever you want to build with the numbers. But at the end of the day, um, if it's not flexible and it's not that easy to use, the productivity is going to be hampered. And I, and I hear that when you talk about like the rev intelligence is I think we have a lot of marketable features. I, I look at some of the data things that are out there and I'm like, this sounds really cool. And in practice, it's just sales is not black and white. And so you end up with trackers, you know, for instance, we use the trackers and gong. Some of them are helpful. Some of them are, are off because they're the things that they're tracking, the way that you have to set them up, it just doesn't have that human level intuition yet to kind of yep. differentiate between this situation and that situation. And it buckets them into the same maybe um, risk item. And it's just, then then you're actually spending more time to be like, oh, that's not actually that thing. And now you have a, a time loss there. So I do agree with you that there's a long way to go here um, with the revenue intelligence pieces, but I think they can be very impactful. Yeah. One other gripe that I have with every conversational intelligence tool is it's relying on transcriptions and mm -hmm. transcriptions of people that don't speak English like you and I do, people that have a little bit of, of an accent. It is so bad at translating what it is that those people are actually saying. So I always wonder how much garbage is just <laughs> sitting in those tools. You know, that's just poor translations, but that's just another topic. Um, Every time I yeah. talk to text on my uh, watch, I have to sometimes grab my phone and send a follow-up type that message because it'll spell something wrong or it'll, it'll yep. hear something wrong. And I'm just like, man, I feel like we should be past this by now. But <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um, Dude, this is a great conversation, man. I love the AE self-sourcing. We got some really good, I, I think the rubbing the shoulders with the, the folks, getting in the pit with them being very, very data-driven, helping AEs block and tackle, actually providing enablement for them, training them, giving them talk tracks. Um, the leading piece with data, like we talked about, the texting piece I thought was super helpful. Um, before you take off, um, yeah. I would love to know what's one piece of advice that you have for uh, a brand new sales leader, someone that's maybe in their first or second year, either as a sales manager or director, and then where can people go to connect with you and learn more about what you're up to. Yeah, that's a good, that's a really uh, big question, Jason, uh, new sales leader. I'll think back to um, when I was a, a new sales leader, and I don't know if I've shared this with you or not, but um, going on going on 10 years ago, I mean, 2015, which is crazy to think about, time flies. Um, yeah. I was in a VP role and I had the title of a leader, but I never felt like I was actually being a leader. Um, I, I wasn't serving my people the way that I am today. And I think the thing that if I could go back in time and tell myself that I would say this is first and foremost, I would say be patient. Um, trust is earned. It's not given by a title. I know that sounds cliche and I know there's a lot of people that say that, but it is very much true of like, you, mm -hmm. you have to actually, people have to actually believe that you can lead them on their growth journey and they have to sign up daily to want to grow with you. Um, otherwise it's, you can't coach the uncoachable thing. Like that's, that's a saying that I wholeheartedly have seen. Um, you also have to believe in yourself. Um, through times of adversity. So it's easy, I would say to the to the new sales leader, it's really easy when things are great. And I, I'm not saying 2021 uh, was an easy time period, but 
you look at the macroeconomic situation, you look at um, outside of COVID, right? I mean, that was a jarring, that was a jar, jarring global pandemic. But you look at like things that the sales environment today is significantly different. You see the the data that's out there with less teams hitting quota. You see longer sales cycles. You see um, CFOs getting much more scrutinous and involved. All of these things, if you're a new sales leader today, you're stepping into an environment that I got to be honest, 18 months ago is a lot easier to get a deal done, um, at, least in our, at least in our world in many aspects. So I would tell that person to, to lean in, trust their principles that they're guiding principles in times of adversity, because that's when you're going to get tested, not when things are easy. Um, the way that people can get in touch with me is just LinkedIn. Um, I'm, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. I've got everything set up to my phone. Uh, as much as my wife hates it, 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 it rings all the time. So it's, you know, if you shoot me a LinkedIn message, um, I'll respond to you for sure. Um, that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. 